There's a lot of horrible, despicable things going on in the world today. Israel is at war. Campus idiots and evil people around the world are celebrating it. And meanwhile, our southern border is just wide the hell open, even as Hamas and global terror affiliates have called for jihad against non-Muslims. But what you ask, is our president, our commander-in-chief concerned with? Junk fees. Freaking junk fees. You know, and as we uh, take these acts, I continue to call on Congress to pass what my friends in the front row here mostly support, junk fee, the junk fee, pre, pre, junk fee prevention act. Hard to say. Junk fee prevention act, but that's not all folks. Joe also invited a real fighter, a real hero, a real valiant and resilient special guest to the white house, a mother from Oregon who had to pay an unwanted fee while purchasing airline tickets. We took our first trip since the pandemic. Our girls were missing their grandpa in Sacramento, California, and we felt it was time to get back out there. Like a lot of families, we booked our trip on a budget. When we booked our hotel online, we thought we knew what we'd be paying. But then when we checked out, we saw all these unexpected fees tacked onto our bill with little information about what they were for. The charges totaled over $100 with no clarification about what was taxes, what was a tourism fee, or anything else included in the charges. The horror, I mean, really, really? For the love of God, innocent people, including the elderly and infants, have been slaughtered by Hamas terrorists in Israel, and the president thinks this is the time to bitch about junk fees? What do you expect from a man who names climate change and white people as our biggest threats? I guess now followed by hidden fees at resorts. Joining me now to weigh in on that, plus give us the full scoop on his latest book, Breaking Biden, exposing the hidden forces and secret money machine behind Joe Biden, his family, and his administration, New York Times bestselling author Alex Marlowe. Alex, it's great to have you. I have so much to ask you about Breaking Biden, but first, the real threat junk fees um it was what a great time to bring that up yesterday not like there's anything else going on in the world uh, what do you think about our president's priority to combat resort fees and airline ticket hikes uh, tommy i want to thank you for giving air to this incredibly important issue i, I know i spoke to your producers offline hoping we we hit junk fees first because we know whatever our president's top priority is that is clearly what is the biggest thing facing the country uh, the only thing surprising I could say about the junk fee issue is that, believe it or not, I think Joe is not entirely out of touch to do this. I think it's a reflection of the times and how we have so many low information voters, so many people who are tuned out, so many people who don't want to engage, not, not only in politics, but in basic civic responsibilities in general. But they are kind of annoyed when, you know, you go to a hotel and you think you're paying with points and then somehow it's a, you know, it's 135 bucks anyway. And it is kind of annoying. And I think normal people don't like that stuff. And I think Joe's seizing on it, believe it or not, I think some people are going to like it. That's the craziest thing where I feel like I'm taking crazy pills sometimes is Edgar Breitbart. We're trying to cover war in the Middle East. We're trying to cover the southern border, as you mentioned, another catastrophic accident disaster waiting to happen for this country. And what's Joe on? He's on junk fees. That's what he's on. And then he'll be back to climate change and white supremacy next.
Well, I'm just waiting for next week's announcement to be something about the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, for God's sakes. I mean, I, I know that the average American out there might not be as politically concerned as you and I are. And I'm not saying that junk fees yeah. are not a problem and not annoying, but I mean, the timing. You've got an administration that's yeah, already right. so tone deaf. And then yesterday, while all this is going on, you've got... Benjamin Netanyahu putting out images that are horrific, showing the real catastrophic effects of this, this attack by Hamas, babies beheaded, bloody rooms of children. And you've got our president standing next to like a middle-aged mother from Oregon talking about that surprise fee when she booked an airline ticket to go see Pop Pop in Sacramento. I mean, it's just wild to me that the White House thought this is the time to do this. Maybe we should reschedule. No, no, no. Too important. Yeah, uh, he actually has this knack for timing where he tries to give something away to his voter base whenever his back is up against the wall. And he, maybe he was just going through what he had available to him and this was the best thing. But if you go back and you look at his history, as I have, uh, he does this every single time he's in trouble. Every single time his polls crater, every single time he's facing a real crisis, he does try to change the subject to something uh, that this was the best he could do this time is kind of amusing. Uh, but yes, he does this stuff because he doesn't want to talk about the reality in particular in the Middle East. But first, let's talk about the economy for a moment. Inflation's still off the charts. We got new inflation data today. It's insane. And it's all because of Joe Biden's spending, which I document in great detail. Uh, his American recovery plan, for example, we'd already recovered. We were already growing at an exponential rate. He just popped an extra $1.9 trillion that we don't have uh, into our spending system. He's cutting checks to millionaires and, and billionaires. I document some of those as well in the book. It's the, that's why things are so expensive. It's a free, I'll pay all the junk fees in the world if you can just go back down to 2% inflation like we had. I mean, that would save me some real money. But of course, the Middle East is the main thing. And Joe Biden's fingerprints are all over this, this crisis that we're seeing right now. His failures in leadership and policy have got us to this. Do you think the uh, average American out there that pays attention but not closely they saw the catastrophe in Afghanistan. I mean, that was unavoidable to see what happened there. Do you think that they're looking at this president now in this moment as our commander in chief? And do you think it's changing some minds about leadership, given the fact that love him or hate him, Donald Trump in office, we saw you know relative peace around the world. He obviously went after and eradicated ISIS. We didn't have an incursion into Ukraine. We had relative peace between Palestine and Israel. And then Joe Biden comes into office, the economy tanks. Afghanistan withdrawal, horrible, open border, and now we've got this and the unlimited funding of Ukraine. Do you think the average person looks at this and goes, yeah, this isn't the guy for me? Or do you think that they're too stupid and wrapped up in junk fees to pay attention? Uh, yeah, well, and they're wrapped up in the housewives. And not to say some of the housewife shows are amusing. I'm not trying to rag on them. But it's a, people have their lives. And I feel like there is a lot of uh, the people are tuned out. They don't trust the media. Uh, they don't trust either side politically. It's kind of a dark moment in that regard. But clearly, if you look at the polls, more and more people every day, it's a slower process, Tommy, than you and I probably expected. Uh, but people are understanding that everything Joe Biden touches domestically gets more expensive. He does not take national security seriously. You can't have the border policy that he does and, and take it seriously. It is an anti-security policy. And then if you look at his overseas failings, those are clearly the most obvious. 
is not just that we gave the uh, Afghanistan back to the Taliban. We left $7 billion of our own arms and helicopters and uh, machine guns and hundreds of thousands of rifles and drones and body armor. And we know those are just going to be flipped and sold to terrorists on the black market. I, I wouldn't be shocked if we find that some of them were using this terror attack over the weekend. So everyone knows that Joe Biden is a terrible ally to places like Israel, who've been our friends, and he is a very soft target for our enemies. And that's part of the reason why Putin invaded his well, I have a whole chapter in Breaking Biden where I say other than Putin himself, Biden's the most responsible person for the invasion because it was his policies were so incompetent. He egged Putin on. He crossed red lines. He appointed Russophobes to try to be diplomats with Putin and him making America more vulnerable with his refusal to drill for oil actually makes Putin more powerful because it makes his oil worth more. So he could fund his war with the jacked up oil prices. Joe Biden has been such a disgrace. I feel like people have barely even scratched the surface at understanding it. So you could have a three-part series in, in breaking Biden. So that's kind of what I want to ask you about. I know you go into great detail about you know all the things that should be breaking Biden. But of all those things between the family scandals, the horrible state of our economy, yeah. the horrible state of our, you know, our national security and our foreign relations, his inability to speak and walk, what do you think the thing is going to be? His Achilles heel beyond his own actual heels that come out from underneath of him. Which one of those things is it going to be that's the nail in his coffin, so to speak? Yeah, I think it's sort of a constellation of all of that, but it is more the framing. And really what the reason why I wrote the book is because I feel like we on the right have marginalized him uh, to our own detriment. And I wanted to investigate. I had a hypothesis that he wasn't quite as dumb as he lets on. He's not as infirm as he lets on. And all of that is something that I don't know if he's totally steering into it, but he certainly uses it to his advantage. And I've determined that that's pretty much the case. Uh, I look back throughout his history and he some of the most insane things that he's said on record. He said in the 70s and 80s, we're talking 40 and 50 years ago, he was every bit as crazy as he is today. Uh, if people talk about him being a puppet. Well, then how do you explain the Afghanistan debacle? He went against every general. He went against all of our allies. He went it completely alone. And that was some of the worst stuff he ever did. So you start to scratch your head. So is he really a puppet? Is he really an idiot? No, he's much worse than that, Tommy. He's a deeply corrupt man who will do everything he can to enrich his family, who is very focused on making sure his family has deals that they can cut all around the world with oligarchs all around the world to make money. He is drunk on his own power and he wants more of it. He doesn't just want to be president. He wants a dynasty like the Kennedys where he'll pass on power to future generations. And then his policy record is, oh, we could do hours on that. And I, and I know you do. Every single thing he does is just setting America backwards and making us less secure So and, and poorer. So he's a much bigger threat than the way we framed him. We framed him simply as his bumbling nincompoop. He's much worse than that. And that's the reset I'm calling for with the book. So I, I understand what you're saying, and I don't disagree with you, but I've had the theory for a long time that there are still Obama holdovers that are largely in charge of a lot of things, a lot of in the shadow government, the deep state, whatever you want to call it, the Valerie Jarrett's of the world, and maybe even Barack Obama himself that are pulling a lot of the strings. Do you think there's some truth to that, or do you think this really is all led by Joe Biden himself? Uh, it's mixed because it's a machine that Joe Biden's built. 
And some of the key members of that machine are people that have long been with Joe Biden. Ron Klain, for example, was very early uh, in in the I was shocked at how early Ron Klain had teamed with Biden. It was something like 35 years ago or so uh, where they had first hooked up on uh, on campaigns together. So, you know, and then someone like a Susan Rice, who is another person who probably had far outsized power than the public knew about within the Biden White House. Uh, she's someone who is an Obama person. Um, do I think Obama himself? I think Obama himself gets what he wants, but I don't think he's that interested in governing this country. I, I don't think he thinks that fondly of this country. We know Michelle doesn't. I think he's very content to make documentaries and to play video games. And occasionally he weighs in on something and everyone listens. And then he goes back and writes books, gets paid lots of money. I think he's very happy with that life. I don't get the impression he's as engaged day to day. So I think it's a machine that Joe Biden built that's in charge. And it does pull largely from Obama world. But a lot of it's people that have been with Joe since, you know, Tommy, before you and I were born. So question for you. Uh, it, it doesn't look like Democrats want Joe Biden to run. We know Republicans don't, but Democrats don't want Joe to run, maybe even more so than Republicans. I actually want Joe to run because I think that he is the easiest candidate to beat. Me too. I, I don't want to run against uh, Gavin Newsom, for example. But, you know, in, in discussing that and discussing the beatability of Joe Biden and the dynamics at play here, do you think that Joe, even because he's obviously failing, whether he's evil or not, he's still failing uh, physically and mentally, do you think that the DNC, do you think that their power trumps his, so to speak, that if he decides I want to run, that he's going to run and that the DNC won't be able to kind of go in there and, and throw him under the bus and get rid of him? Which one has a, a higher power on that index there, in your opinion? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's a better question today than it was yesterday, and it'll probably be a better question tomorrow because it does feel like Joe is letting things slip a little bit. And I, I can guarantee you your commentary on junk fees. There's a lot of smart Democrats out there who are thinking, what is this guy doing? We've still got the $6 billion in the balance that he could freeze right now, do something meaningful uh, for this crisis that's going on in Israel. Uh, instead, what is he doing? He's talking about junk fees. Uh, you can bet there are people who are you know punching walls watching him do this stuff, who would love to see him out. But I think he has solidified his power in a few key ways, many of which I document in the book. Uh, but he, first of all, knows exactly who to appease and how to appease them when his back is up against the wall, namely his base, but also the donor class. Joe's entire foreign policy establishment is the military industrial complex. First and foremost is Tony Blinken. I have a big deep dive into him. Uh, he, I call him the secretary of Boeing because what he does is he figures out ways to make money for his Chinese ties. He's got Google, who's one of his clients at his consulting firm, West Exec. Boeing is one of his clients. I, I, I mean, th these are massive companies that know if the Biden regime is in power, they're not going to be threatened. Take Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley's gal in Washington is Kamala Harris. Now, Kamala Kamala's not smart enough to surpass Joe. So she's on the ticket. She's vice president. Uh, and she is a big wink and nod to Silicon Valley. You're going to be able to be monopolies. No one's going to slow you down. You're going to get to run amok. It doesn't matter how much you censor. It doesn't matter how much you uh, uh, scrape data you're not supposed to get. Uh, the worst thing we'll ever do to you is a slap on the wrist. So this is why I think Joe has solidified his power at a pretty substantial level and why Newsom, who's very savvy, I'm a Californian, I know he's a savvy guy, I've followed his career for over 20 years at this point. Uh, he's probably smart enough to vie for that Joe hand me the power when you're done slot rather than taking him head on because it will be very hard to do. See, I, I just still feel like it's going to be Gavin Newsom. I just, I really do. I don't know how, you know, especially after books like yours, 
I don't know how the Democrats stick with Joe moving into 2024. In 2020, they were able to put him in the basement due to COVID. I don't think they're going to be able to do that again. I know that there's been discussions about the debates, but if it's Trump, if it's DeSantis, it really doesn't matter. I think they're going to have to debate, and I can't imagine Joe in a debate setting. He was horrible leading up to 2020. I can't imagine what he'd be like now. Do you really think that they're going to stick with that? And if so, do you think they can win with that? Is it just the mass mail-in voting in their yes. pocket so they're good to go? Uh, it, it's, a, it's such an important question. And um, I do differ a little bit in that I think as of today, they're sticking with him. Uh, I don't think their hands are tied. And as I said, I don't think he's failing physically quite as much as it appears when we watch him stumble around. Um, and I think that that's number one. Uh, if you watch the two debates, remember, he got out of one because Trump had COVID or whatever. So we only need two. And I, at least one of them, he was very good. And um, I, it's, I know for a fact that Trump was sort of surprised at how good Biden was in one of the debates. And Trump, to his credit, who's got terrific instincts, uh, was uh, thought Joe would be the toughest candidate uh, during the primaries before 2020. So Trump knows that Biden does have a secret sauce. And when he's got so much baked into his benefit, and I'm not talking about just his political machine. I'm talking about what I call cheat by mail, the massive vote by mail registration, community organizing that's going on, the automatic voter registration that we're seeing pop up. Uh, the, the levels of community organizing are so deep across this country by the institutional left. The Mark Eliases, who've been working around the clock, trying to expand the rules so that you uh, have a, as little oversight over voting as possible, that we're so far away from having election day, it's becoming an election quarter. And you don't even have to handle your own ballots now. All of this stuff is designed to keep Joe or whichever Democrat is the standard bearer in power for the long term. So I, I think your question is, is so valid, and I might have a different answer in a month, especially, hopefully, as some of the ideas in my book percolate. Uh, but as of now, it, uh, it's very hard to see uh, so many stars aligning to get Joe out. So kind of in line with that, I also want to ask you about the GOP, which is also in shambles. Uh, we don't have a speaker. It doesn't look like Scalise is going to have the votes to be the speaker. Jim Jordan going to step back up to the plate. I'm a big fan of Jim Jordan. I'm sure that you are as well, given that he's really spearheading a lot of the Biden investigations. Uh, I think Jim Jordan would be yes. a fantastic speaker. I worry, though, that that's going to ruin his future career in leadership in this party because nobody likes a Republican speaker. So I worry about that. He doesn't That's seem right. to really That's want right. it. Very wise. But what do you think is the best option for the Republican Party, for the American people, now that we're in this Matt Gates created situation, possibly on the brink of another war? Yeah, I get in a time machine and go back a week and a half and don't do what we did. <laughs> it was it was a big mistake. And I have a lot of nice things to say about Matt Gates. Uh, he's got a lot of charisma. Um, but it is, and he's writing a lot of issues. And I, as a content creator, like you, as editor of Breitbart, I, I love people who mix it up. We need those people. Uh, but he was wrong here. Kevin McCarthy was doing a good job in a job no one wants. I, I'm not a Kevin McCarthy fan per se. Um, I prefer Steve Scalise and I strongly prefer Jim Jordan. So I might be happier in the long run, uh, but overall the, the, the open secret in Washington is that job sucks. A terrible job. You got to negotiate with the biggest egomaniacs on the planet all the time, and everyone hates you. You're going to have an approval rating in the teens. It's almost impossible to do a good job. And, you know, even Jim Jordan didn't want it last time. So I'm glad he stepped up this time. Maybe he's the guy if we get lucky. Uh, but it is, I'm trying to get the focus on Joe Biden, the Democrat Party, and uh, our open border, you know, terror in the Middle East. Like that's the type of stuff that we need to be focused on, uh, not infighting amongst Republicans. We need unity. We're finally 
really investigating the Bidens. We're, Tommy, the biggest frustration I had researching the book is how hard it is to get the exact dollar signs of all the deals the Bidens are carrying out overseas. I documented deals in over half a dozen countries, probably 20 deals, maybe more, are touched on in the book at some point. And it's very hard to get the specific dollar amount. We're finally getting them. And I want some unity on the right at this point. This is a time to get unified against Joe Biden, against global terror, all that stuff. And now we're talking about whether or not McCarthy, because he was only doing like 80% of the stuff we wanted, whether or not that was not good enough. So then we got to do this chaotic thing. I hate it. I hate all of it. Aside from, from a content perspective, it's hot content. Yeah, well, that's that's true. But the sake of our country, it, it worries me. And I don't want Republicans to lose in 2024. I know that winning really isn't our thing, but it should be. Uh, so <laughs> that's another thing, because you talk a it lot about the, the Biden scandals and you have researched this in depth for your book, which, by the way, is fantastic, Breaking Biden. So here's my question for you. We know that there's evidence. There's evidence on top of evidence on top of evidence. I mean, it's clear as day. Uh, I don't feel like we need an impeachment inquiry to get any more evidence because there's so much evidence. But it doesn't right. seem like it's moving the needle with the American people. It doesn't seem like your average independent voter cares that Biden and his family probably sold out our country from the Oval Office and then prior to that from the vice presidency. They don't seem to care. What more information do you have to package for them to make them care. Yeah, I think the issue is that sometimes we presented it as if it's too complicated. And I love this question too. If there's two takeaways I want from my book, uh, the first one is what I mentioned before, we need to reset on how we approach Joe Biden. And the second one is we can't wait for any more investigations. We've got enough. We've got more than enough that I could dig through from my home office just north of LA and a team of five part-time researchers. Like it's the, I, you don't need any more subpoena power. Though I, I, I love it. I want subpoena everyone. I want to interview Hunter. I want to ask Hunter, Hunter, what did you do for these companies that were paying you? It's a, you know nothing about China. You know nothing about energy. Jim Biden, you know nothing about uh, uh, commercial real estate. How did you get a deal to put up 100,000 houses in Iraq? We would like to know that. Uh, these questions are going to have really crazy answers. Uh, but that said, we've got enough to make sure that he's voted out and he's put out to pastor politically. And so that's what I'm trying to get people fired up about is that it doesn't have to be so complicated. We know he takes bribes. Look at the Burisma example. Hunter gets paid a million bucks. They, the Burisma asks for the prosecutor to get dealt with. Joe fires him going against our direct national policy, which is from the State Department, which is the prosecutor was doing a good job. State Department said do a good job. Joe fired him anyway. I, that's clear bribery. We know Joe's willing to do that. Two sentences to sum that up. It doesn't need to be some sort of big web of shadowy oligarchs. We don't have to convey all that to people. I think that stuff is happening for sure, but it doesn't have to be that complicated. He spent too much money. Now we have inflation. He won't drill. Now gas is too expensive and Putin's stronger. He did alienate our allies in Israel. Then they got invaded by terrorists. He's sending money to those people who fund the terrorists. This is stuff that you can do with a, a 20 IQ and articulate this to people. We're not getting through to people, I feel like, because we've overcomplicated it. Right. You're right about that. It's hard to keep up with everything because there's so much evidence uh, last thing I want to ask you, and I know that we could spend a long time on this, but I, I want to just get your thoughts. If Republicans wanted to win the White House in 2024, who do we put up as our nominee? It's a very tough question um, because I, I've been I've said for a long time on uh, my radio show, which I, I, I have left recently. But when I was on the air, I would say Donald Trump is a uniquely strong primary candidate and will get 
probably the most votes in general, but he has some unique negatives in that he engenders a lot of people through their hatred of him to vote against him, which is a unique setback. Um, and that's something that we're probably going to have to deal with because in all likelihood, he's the, he's the nominee. I, I don't think anyone else in the race has run a very good campaign. I've been very critical of almost every other campaign. Um, I think Vivek overall has run a pretty good campaign considering he came from nowhere um, to be where he is. Uh, and a couple of the other candidates are decent at differentiating themselves, but they have some real pitfalls issue by issue. And then some of them have just run j just disastrous campaigns. I, I don't need to name names here in the limited time we have. Uh, but I think we're stuck with 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 Trump or we're going to have Trump if you love Trump. I'm not trying to judge Trump as much as I'm saying we should be prepared that there will be more voters who show up to vote against him. I'm personally a fan of his, uh, and I think that he'll do a better job a second time around if he gets in. But the headwinds are enormous. He's in a better spot than he was in 2020. But these cheat by mail rules, the automatic voter registration, the uh, thoroughness he is despised by the institutional media. Uh, these are real, real threats. And hopefully his team understands he's going to have to overcome all those. Yeah. And then he's got legal battles to fight one after the other, after the other, after the other. So it's going to be interesting. I don't think anybody really wants a Joe v. Trump rematch in 2024. But unfortunately, that's probably what we're going to get. I still maintain, though, that Gavin Newsom is going to be the nominee. So I'm still holding on to that just for the record. But so, Tommy, can, can, can I ask you, do, do you see a path for someone else? Because I know you're you're tuned on all this stuff. I mean, I'm yeah. uh, again, for, for me, that'd be very exciting. I wanted a big primary. I feel like we haven't really gotten that. I don't think there's any other contenders besides Ron DeSantis. I think it's a DeSantis v. Trump race in the primary. Nobody else excites me. I can't stand Nikki Haley. She would drag us into World War III today if yes. she had the opportunity. Yes. Speaking of the military-industrial complex, they've got her on speed yes, dial. Absolutely. That bothers me. Can't stand Nikki Haley. Nobody else is interesting to me. I'm a big fan of Ron DeSantis. I think he could win a general election. I think had Trump not run, he would be far and away not only our nominee, but he would be somebody that we could be very confident could win. Unfortunately, you've got the pro, anti-Trump, never Trump, hate DeSantis, once loved DeSantis. He's had to fight all those headwinds that are, I believe, unfair. But uh, again, we're in a, a unique spot. Uh, I do think that if he does well in Iowa, I think that there is a big opportunity for Ron DeSantis, but Iowa's got to be it. So... It's a it's a well articulated. Thank you for letting me interview you on your own show. <laughs> no. Am I the first to ever do that? No, you're not. And I appreciate it, actually. I love it. Thank you for spending so much time with me. Congratulations on your book. An enormous success. Breaking Biden. Everyone should read it, especially the independents, the liberals. Have people go out and get it for Christmas, for Hanukkah. Spread it far and wide. Thank you so much for being with me. Tommy, that means a lot. Thanks a lot. Of course. Well, it's been a very heavy week, and it's likely going to be a very heavy month, a heavy season, and a heavy year as Israel defends its people and its right to exist. War and the news that comes with it is painful and it's ugly. But to close out the week, I'm going to give us a little much-needed comedic relief and present to you my losers of the week. Now, these aren't necessarily the worst offenders of the week. Those individuals are the members of the Hamas squad and the other sick and twisted individuals here and abroad who have either refused to condemn Hamas or actively celebrated the attack on Israel. A special loser mention also goes to President Joe Biden, who, even as leader of the free world, slept through the initial attack on Israel and then proceeded to throw a barbecue in the Rose Garden as the world reeled from the most deadly attack on Jews since the Holocaust. Those aforementioned individuals are the losers 
Bankers of the Week. But on a lighter note, joining them are these three. First up, University of Wisconsin women's basketball coach Marissa Mosley, who, while celebrating the diversity of her team, decided to take a dig at us boring and standard white people. Take a listen. If you look at my team, um, you know, we're pretty much the United Nations. Um, I have the first Indian woman to ever play at the Power Five. I have kids who are um, Nigerian and kids who are Dominican and kids who are Mexican and kids who are run-of-the-mill white, you know, because they're still there too. Well, I guess you can count me as one of those run-of-the-mill white people. But speaking of diversity and excellence, listening to Coach Mosley, I'm reminded of an iconic and inspirational quote from our own Joe Biden. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Oh, but speaking of race and the left's obsession with it, that brings me to my next loser of the week, the entire state of California, led by Governor Gavin Newsom. What for this week, you ask? Well, this week, Gavin signed Senate Bill 673, the Ebony Alert Law, which will serve to prioritize the search for black youth gone missing. I mean, call me crazy, but to openly prioritize the search and rescue of a child based on race sounds pretty damn racist to me. Perhaps California could, I don't know, prioritize the search of all youth gone missing on the same level. You know, even us run-of-the-mill white people, just a thought. But race-based search and rescue isn't the only thing Gabby Boy has been up to this week. He also signed a bill that originally went after Skittles and Red Dye Number 3. Luckily, Skittles are safe in the final version, but a previous version of the bill would have banned titanium dioxide, a chemical found in Skittles candy. You know, all the filth, the drugs, the crime, and the homelessness in California, and Governor Gavin Newsom and pals took time to assess your candy. You know, I'm sure those additives are unhealthy, maybe even toxic, but wait until you California health nuts get a load of what you've been putting in your arms the last couple of years. Yikes. Best of luck to you. Those are my losers of the week from Nashville. God bless and take care.